Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast. I'm your usual host, Matthew Wellington, and I'm joined today by my uh, normal Sunday night slash Monday co-host for you guys. Uh, we've got Zach Salzman. Hey, guys. I'm a little out of sync. We we, we moved <laughs> forward an hour here in Canada, so... Uh, stupid daylight savings time has stolen an hour from my Sunday. So, oh dear, we get yeah. that next. We got that next weekend. You so. guys, you guys next week. But yeah. yeah, I usually tend to. I usually end up being out. So like, I'm in the middle of a club when that happens, and yeah. it freaks you out because it's like you get kicked. You either get kicked out an hour early or you leave <laughs> an hour late. <laughs> it's yeah. just a bit I, weird. I think it's. I think as long as you um, move your clocks forward the night before and you don't wake up and then move them forward, that's the most depressing thing. Yeah. You get up at like 11, but it's actually noon. <laughs> or if you, you've got work on like a Sunday or something and you yeah. mistime everything. <laughs> then you're in big trouble. Um, so there's been a busy week. There's been bits and bobs going on. We gave you a pretty long, lengthy podcast this week, so hopefully this one won't be over an hour. We didn't actually realize it was that long last week, but we just had too much fun talking about the East. And it's it's spiced up even more this week with some of the games and some of the results. But um, we're going to get things started over in the West by talking about Brian Shaw. He has been removed or fired by the Denver Nuggets. Um, after, well, a, a, a terrible season for them, I believe the other, I saw something the other day saying that their chance was something like one, two, three, four, six weeks or something, which is the, the end of the season. So getting a bit ahead of themselves. But obviously, um, Brian Shaw replaced George Carl, who'd taken them to the playoffs and was just pretty much an instantly bad fit for them. Um, they haven't really had much success since, uh, Shaw was, uh, in tenured. So yeah, it, it, on the one hand, I do feel sorry for Brian Shaw because, he kind of took over there. It was a tough situation. Like George Carl won coach of the year. Then he parted ways with the organization. Then Masai Jiri moved to, to Toronto. So it was almost like it was always going to be a bit of a transition period for the Nuggets. Um, and like, you know, it's a, a tough, tough situation for anyone to sort of follow up a, you know, possibly a future Hall of Fame coach like, like George Carl. But I, I don't think he helped himself. Um, I mean, uh, Tom, Thomas will, t- will who, uh, who writes and's on the podcast for Double Clutch here. He, yeah. Big Nuggets fan, and he'll be able to comment on this probably better than I can. But that that roster is just—it seems like the logical thing would be to play a high tempo, run and gun style. Like they, this home court advantage with the high altitude in Denver that really um, is really conducive to pushing the ball and using their athleticism. But as soon as Shaw came in there, he wanted to turn them into this, you know, sort of hybrid post up triangle offense. Like you know, he's a, obviously a disciple of Phil Jackson, so. He wanted this, you know, the big men to be back to the basket, post up players, slow everything down, play everything in the half court. And they just don't have the players for that kind of style. Like Ty Lawson, you need that guy to get out and push the ball. He's one of the fastest point guards in the league. And Kenneth Farid, obviously, his whole game is predicated on high energy, like breaking out in transition, dunks, uh, face up. Like he's not a post up player. So he really tried to fit players into his system that weren't, you know, slow it down players. And so I think, that's where he just kind of came up short. And obviously, as everyone's been discussing, he's lost the locker room months ago. I think he was uh, having major conflicts with Ty Lawson behind the scenes and him and Kenneth Farid were butting heads. So it just was never a good, and uh, never a good relationship with, with him and the team. Yeah, they've just dropped off a cliff. Like they, they, they looked like they were going to be competitive. I think me, I can't remember, I don't, I can't remember if it was me or you who wrote the preview at the start of the season when we did all of our, um, our team previews, but. I think yeah. we were, we were, we thought they'd be okay. We thought they'd at least challenge for a playoff spot because of the players they've got. Gallinari was coming back, looked healthy, but it's not really, um, fallen their way. He's 56 and 85 over the time yeah. that he's been there, which is not exactly great. So that's below, I've, 
that's below 400 just to put it <laughs> in the uh, the stats category but yeah, yeah. it's an interesting one the, the Orlando Magic have also said that they're apparently interested in Brian Shaw so that's that's an interesting one I don't think that's what they need either so we'll have to see what happens yeah. I, I just I, I don't know like he had so much uh, there was so much fanfare when he when he joined I mean partly because he, he'd been seen as the next great head coach yeah. uh, you know when he was an assistant for Frank Vogel on the Pacers just a guy that everyone said was like really sort of uh a really well respected among the players and high IQ guy, which I'm not saying he's not, but it, it, sometimes you, you try and force a, you know, a round peg into a square hole and it just doesn't work. It, it, you know, Mike D'Antoni's been criticized for doing the same thing. He's regardless of the players that he inherits, he tries to force them into his system. And I think sometimes you've just got to, you've got to adapt your system to what you, what you work with. And I just don't think he did a good job. Good job there. That being said, some of those players should, should have a long, hard look in the mirror to be, to be fair, because they essentially quit on on Shaw for the last half of this season. I mean, the you 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 mentioned off the top there, Matt. The one, two, three, six weeks thing—that's pretty embarrassing. Like, you you've got paying fans who show up to the game. I don't want to sound all old and curmudgeon here, but <laughs> you know, like, show a little bit of a little bit of pride, a little bit of spirit. You know, this guy's you know has his job on the line, and you should play hard for him. It, it shouldn't be you know this thing where you're just counting down the days till the end of the season, like. Uh, Kenneth Farid as well. He he's really regressed. I mean, he looked great in in FIBA, but and, and as a lot of people are saying, Zach Lowe was was one of them. You know, could you really judge him when he's playing against you know guys who aren't NBA caliber? I think he looked really good in that in that situation, but he seems to have really regressed now. Um, and and so so yeah, part part of the blame is on Brian Shaw, but I think his old uh, Indiana players though, who who he coaches an assistant like. David West, Paul George, they were just saying, you know, there's, I think David West had a tweet like, there's no grown men in that locker room, you know, so he stood up for, for Brian Shaw there and said, you know, listen, like, that, that Nuggets team, they're just, you know, kind of a little bit juvenile, just, just how they sort of handle things. And they've sort of, you know, thrown them under the bus to a certain extent. Yeah. They got steamrolled last night as well by uh, James Harden, who continues yeah. to play at MVP caliber level. Um, we, well, we're staying in the West. I guess we've got, we've got to touch on Wesley Matthews because he has ruptured his Achilles, which is awful. It took place on Thursday night. I, I think it was one of the games that was on, so on uh, BT Sport over here, but it was, it was a weird one because he, he, he's actually come out and spoken about it since. And he just said, he just said he went, for, he did a move that he'd done a thousand times before. And it, it just felt like his whole, you know, his foot had gone completely beneath him, which I guess is, Kind of similar to what Kobe said when it happened to him, but ironically, he was wearing Kobe nines, which are the uh, that they were the sh- the shoes designed to uh, sort of stop the Achilles injury from happening. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's happened. He's missed just thirteen games in his entire his six year career in the NBA, so it's a this is a big one. It's a it's I don't think it's as big a loss as I thought it was going to be for Portland purely because they they got Aaron Aflalo in the trade deadline, but. If they hadn't have got him during the trade, they're not, I think they'd be in a really sticky situation right now because there's not a lot of, um, options on the free agency market or even on, if, you know, just to bring someone in like Ray Allen, who they've reportedly questioned. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. Like, uh, I, I hate when injuries happen at this point, any time of the season, but especially now when we're kind of looking forward to the playoffs, you want every single title contender in Portland that were definitely a title contender to have like their full roster and to go into the playoffs with, with everyone like, uh, fit and healthy. And Wesley Matthews has been such a great story throughout his career. He was undrafted. He may go down as the greatest undrafted player in the history of the game. Like the guy has just gone from, you know, no one even giving him any consideration 
to like being a really, really great two-way player who can defend and he can, he can shoot and he's got, you know, he's not a superstar, but he's got quite a varied offensive game. Uh, and, and it's sad, like you mentioned the Achilles, like it's such, I think it's such a freak injury. Like no one really knows like how to prevent that injury. It just sort of happens. And, uh, you know, it, it almost feels, I remember Kobe saying this and, and, and Matthew said, you know, it feels like you kind of look around and something feels like someone kicks you in the back of the leg. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a devastating injury for a basketball player just because the, the explosion that you need, uh, you know, obviously off your ankles. And it's, uh, I mean, the Aflala thing is good. It, it kind of saves them in a sense, like you're right, like they, they have a guy who can come in, similar skill set and slot in a two guard. But the only thing that, that well, the major problem is now it just kills their rotation because Aflala was brought in to just kind of strengthen that bench a bit. And yeah. they did get rid of a lot of pieces in that trade. So now you you promote Aflalo to the to the starting lineup, and that bench really has no one offensively who can carry them. Um, they were shallow as it was before, like you mentioned, Matt. So now they're even they're even shallower, and it's it's going to be tough to see a lot of pressure on that starting lineup, especially the Marcus Aldridge, who, who obviously has been battling injury, and Batum, who's been struggling. There's a lot of pressure on those guys to to rack up the points when they're in, because once the bench unit comes in or a part of the bench unit, it, they're going to struggle to score, I think. It's massively going to up minutes as well, like with regards to someone like Damian Lillard and Aflalo. Aflalo played 32 minutes last night and they lost to Timberwolves. You didn't really, you wouldn't have saw, seen that coming had they had Wesley Matthews. Um, and CJ McCollum is going to have to step up and he's not been great. Like, he's, yeah. everyone thought he was going to be a perfect sort of, you know, combination with, um, with Lillard coming out of the draft and he had that, he had a pretty terrible start to his last year with the uh, injuries and problems, but, this year he's just he hasn't really found any form of rhythm he was off again last night so he's going to get a minutes increase and they don't have that one player who like you said can just kick it off the bench Steve Blake is you know he's still a good role player but he's way past prime Alonzo G's never really proved anything anywhere he's been so they they're they're really short on depth again now and if anything like the the rosters in the West especially show that you need the depth at the moment. You look at someone like OKC who's making the run. They're making that run purely because of the amount of depth that they've now got. So Portland are really going to suffer. It's it's just such a shame because Wesley Matthews is such a nice guy. He's never one of those blokes who comes out and says anything bad in the media or does anything like that. He was at the All Star Weekend having a having a bunch of fun, and it's just a, it's just a a, a pain because he plays both offense and defense well for them. So yeah, it's, it's just going to be a huge loss. I think you mentioned this about the Raptors last last week, Matt, and the same thing applies to the Blazers. They've gotten really lucky with injuries the last yeah. few years. I mean, part of the reason why they've been able to play as well as they have is because they can they can play their starting lineup, their starting five, a lot. And they've been one of the best starting fives in the league over the last couple of seasons under Terry Stotts. And uh and, and like the Raptors, they've they've their starting five has been relatively injury free and sort of ironic now this season. The Raptors have suffered major injury with DeRozan, and now the Blazers, it sort of seems to be their time with an injury, and they've, they've lost a, a key piece to their starting five. So, I mean, every team has to deal with in- injuries. We see that the Bulls are dealing with them, uh, and like any contending team in the league, the, the Heat, everyone deals with it. So it's just going to be interesting now how, like, who's going to step up, like you said. They need McCollum to step up big time, see if he can bring something, uh, bring something to them that he hasn't really shown shown as of yet so uh so yeah they 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 need uh they need major production from their bench but it, it's unclear whether or not they can get it i think this is, if this had happened last year or a couple of years ago we'd have been 
we probably wouldn't have been as worried as we are now, but we've seen this season how big Wesley Matthews is to that team. He stretches the floor for them. I think he's now their, like, the franchise leading three point scorer or something. So he's been huge for them since he's, he's come into there. So it's a massive loss for them. Whether it makes a big difference to the playoffs is going to be interesting. Um, because obviously your bench is going to make a huge difference. But when you've got Damian Lillard and the Marcus Aldridge, I think you're in for a, a chance every single night. But Portland yeah. is just one of those organizations that they, like, I've mentioned it before, they just get hit by injuries yeah. or the run of bad luck. Like the last really, really great team they had before sort of Brandon Moy and them lot turned up was, you know, they ended up facing the lake, the, the 2000 odd Lakers. So you don't really want to, you know, they just, they've always run into a wall. And that's the problem that, you know, a lot of the franchises seem to be having nowadays. Um, I guess quickly we should probably talk, just talk about, um, cause Matthews is obviously a free agent this, uh, summer. I mean, is that going to affect his value? Because he's obviously going to have to rehabilitate for yeah. the whole summer. He said that he's not going to, there's no way he's going to be back. So he's just going to have to sit, he's going to be sitting out the playoffs, sitting out most of the off season. And then his free agency is going to cause problems because he's still not going to be, he's not going to be him effectively. The, the, the market buyers are going to be looking at, his performances up to now. Yeah, it's tough too because like like you said, he was he you know, with a lot of the free agents you'd kind of expect them to stay put this summer. Like I don't think Marcus Sol's going anywhere. Uh and so like a guy like Wesley Matthews could have been a big um a big draw, especially for a team like the Lakers, you know, team that has a lot of money to throw around the Knicks maybe. Um and now, you know, people are gonna be second guessing, you know, is this guy someone that has lost a lot of explosion and this it, it, it sucks because he's 28. And so you figured this would have been his last big contract, mm. uh, you know, sign a big four year deal and that kind of carries him over to retirement. But, um, I guess he's, he's, he's been a really consistent three point shooter. So, so maybe that skill doesn't necessarily need the kind of explosion that you might lose with a torn ruptured Achilles. But I mean, he does so much on defense. So, and, and even last season in the playoffs against Houston, he was posting up James Harden and, you know, back him into the post and just out muscling him. So he's had way more kind of variance to his offensive game. So I think there's going to be question marks now. I mean, Kobe's a different story because he's far older, much more minutes on his body. Uh, but he's clearly not been the same since rupturing his Achilles. Uh, and Wesley Matthews, again, he's a lot younger. And again, I- I'm not going to bet against Wesley Matthews because he's a guy who's come into the league from nowhere, undrafted, like I said. Um, so if anyone can kind of get the motivation to come back and, and, and be just as strong as he was pre-injury, it's him, but it's a tough one. He's definitely, it's hard to say he hasn't lost a few dollars with that injury. Yeah. There was a really emotional Instagram post from him during the week as well. It was like a picture of him outside the locker room sitting in a wheelchair and it just said something like, you know, Portland's Iron Man is done. So it was a yeah. bit, um, bit destroying, but, um, yeah, Kevin Love. Basically, he's come out this week and just said he's not a stretch four, and everyone's just taken the pee out of him for it because at the moment, well, if you look over the last bunch of games, he's la- launching above eight, eight threes per game. He's usually sitting in the corner. He doesn't seem to get involved. He's not that Kevin Love that we all thought that the Cavs were going to get. I think the Cavaliers have probably been a bit disappointed as well because he's come in. He's not that second star. He's actually become that third star behind, obviously, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. They gave up Andrew Wiggins for him. At the moment, it's looking a bit, well, not exactly optimistic. It's just an interesting one because of the, uh, obviously the free agency stuff that is, is coming up. But his, um, they won on Sunday night. I think he put 13 points up and 10 rebounds, but they were all on a defensive end. So yeah, yeah, it's a different Kevin Love that we've been seeing this season. He's, he's, <laughs> this is the thing. Like he, he isn't a stretch for 
Like, he hasn't had the skill set of a stretch four in the sense that I kind of Ryan Anderson. <laughs> well, yeah, but I understand what he's saying. He says he basically says he's not a stretch four. He's a post up guy who can shoot. Now that's true. That's his skill set. He's a post up guy who can shoot. But the way he's being used currently by the Cavaliers uh, is as a stretch four, as kind of a one dimensional guy on offense who you know, and and not to say that he hasn't been effective and that isn't a a good role for him on the team because he does open up the floor and he opens up driving lanes for guys like uh, Kyrie and LeBron. But his, it's funny because in a vacuum again, like he's having a decent season. Like if you just said a guy's going to put up 17 points and 10 rebounds a game and he's going to be your third best player, you you take that every day of the week. Um, but because it's Kevin Love, because his guys average 26 points, 13 rebounds a game in his career, had, had one game where he scored 30 points, had 30 rebounds. It's a guy that you expect a bit more. And on the one hand, you can say, well, like in order to win, like guys going to have to make sacrifices. Chris Bosch did when he moved to Miami. He went from a 20 point to 25 point a game player way down to like more of a 17 point player, nine rebounds a game. Um, but I, I, I do think it's less of like Kevin Love. Like I don't think it's him deciding to be like, remove from the offense and sit in the corner and shoot threes. I, I just think that's the way that he's being used by the team. I, I honestly think that that's kind of how David Blatt's using him right now. Just kind of, you know, LeBron and Kyrie are the ball handlers and, and the, you know, the, the main plays are, are going to go through them, pick and roll. Uh, Moskov gets used on the pick and roll quite a bit. And Love is like that kind of guy who's, who stretches the floor. He, he pops out and shoots mid range or he, or he, uh, or he shoots from the, uh, from three point line. And I, he definitely, I think sometimes they use him, at, they've, they've made an effort at the start of games to kind of get him at the elbows and kind of get him some post-up chances, you know, against certain defenders. But I, I still think that he's not being used in that, in that way enough, enough. And it's hard to criticize him because they're winning and <laughs> they're winning a lot of games <laughs> right now doing that. But sometimes when you kind of isolate a guy and you kind of remove him from the offensive flow a bit and he's just a three-point shooter or like a decoy, he gonna, he's gonna try a little less on defense. He might think, well, why don't I just, you know, not, you know, I'm not gonna rebound quite as well because he just can't get in the flow. Uh, it might not be a conscious thing. It might just be kind of a subconscious thing. And when you say is rebounding too, Matt, like when you're just shooting three pointers, you take yourself out of contention for the offensive rebounds. Like that was a big strength in Minnesota where he would like, he'd be in the paint. He'd be pulling down those second chance opportunities. And it's impossible to grab offensive rebounds when you're on the perimeter shooting. So they kind of kill that aspect of his game. So again, I, I don't think it's him. I think it's just how David Blatt's been using him. Like, um, so it's a different Kevin Love that we're seeing this season. And uh, I don't know. On the one hand, I, I think it would be good to get him more involved, especially when the playoffs come and, and, uh, and you want guys to be kind of really locked in. But at the same time, they've reeled off, I don't know, 20 wins out of the last 23. I, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it, it's working somewhat, you have to admit. Yeah, and there's all these comparisons between obviously him and um, what happened with Chris Bosch in Miami, but yeah. I just I think they kind of need to stop because Chris Bosch found himself playing. You, a lot of the time, he was sort of the second star on that Miami Heat team because obviously Dwayne Wade had so many injury issues throughout the years, but whenever, whenever Wade was on the court, Wade was that second option, but that isn't happening even when you've got love even when you've got um Kyrie and, and James either one of them missing games it just doesn't seem to be uh going through him as much as you'd expect because Mozgov came in and he fills up the set that fills up the paint he's 
the guy who grabs the, the, the rebounds for them inside and he's just become, well, I don't know. I don't think anyone really expected this from Timothy Moskov because yeah. it didn't look that amazing coming over from Denver, but he's just been completely rejuvenated and it's kind of taken all of the, the, the hype and the umph away from what Kevin Love does because he's now become this sort of, this role player who sits in the corner, but it's a weird one because all of the, everyone's constantly asking him, like every game you see things like Kevin Love wants to, test free agency and bits and bobs because he signed that one year deal so we'll just have to see what happens I think it might come down to to comfort and how he feels being in that team does he want to be the the, the second third star on that team or does he want to have you know his own team and, and, and do what he wants in the end but he's a really interesting one because it's, he's he's just not the player he was last year I think his, his highest rate of threes taken last year for the Timberwolves was 6.6 so yeah He's averaging way more than that, and that's just over the past sort of six, seven games. So it, it's a weird one. I don't really know what to think of it because come playoff time, he could just turn into the monster that we were all, you know, expecting. <laughs> well, he's never played the in the playoffs before. He was a statistical monster in Minnesota, but that team didn't make the playoffs once. Yeah. So it's like, so I, I guess when you, you, you can't have three all stars on a team all averaging 25 points a game, I just don't think it happens. So, at some point, you kind of make a choice, you know, whether or not do you want to average 26 and 15 and then be on a team like the Timberwolves or, and, and trust me, if he goes to the Lakers in free agency, he can average 30 points a game on 20 rebounds. A game oh, on yeah, that. Yeah. He'll get all the shots he wants, but they're not going to win anything. Or do you want to win a, you know, a title and play in the playoffs and average, you know, 17 and 10, which is perfectly respectable. The other big difference between him and Chris Bosch is Chris Bosch's one of the best defensive uh, big men in the league, like Kevin Love and Chris Bosh, they are miles apart defensively. So like Chris Bosh obviously sacrificed a lot of offensive numbers, but what he did for that team defensively is incredibly underrated. Um, but uh, the one thing about Love this week, you know, just in terms of uh, spotting up in the corners, if you were a Raptors fan, you were, you felt like Kevin Love destroyed you uh, in midweek because <laughs> that the, the Cavaliers ran the same play over and over again in the second quarter of the game in which uh, Cleveland ran out winners in Toronto and Ke- Kyrie Irving just completely broke down the Raptors' defense, drove into the lane, attracted so much help, kicking the ball out to Kevin Love. I think uh, it felt like he hit like five three-pointers in a row. So uh, again, if he's not happy with that, I totally understand he wants to be more involved, but it, it looked very, very effective against Toronto this week. Yeah, that was the Lou Williams show, I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, that was the Lou Williams show. He, he got the Raptors back into it, yeah. And then LeBron, you know, did his LeBron things at the end and it was all over. <laughs> Twitter, was, yeah, Twitter was just blowing up. Everyone was like, Lou Williams is doing crazy things. And obviously they get a bit nuts over there in the yeah, kind of the center with that weird, they run that banner along the bottom of the, uh, on the bottom of the screen and everyone yells, Lou, it's just a bit nuts. <laughs> yeah. Lou Williams had 26 points on eight shots. I think he, <laughs> he got to the line like, I, he must have hit about t- 10 to 12 uh, free throws. He was, it was like the most efficient Lou Williams I have ever seen. He was just unreal. The, he's leading the most, uh, irrationally confident, uh, player in the NBA. <laughs> if that's a race right now, Jason Terry used to have it for the Mavericks. Just a guy who get hot and just thinks he's the best player in the world. And Lou Williams currently every night thinks he's the best player in the world. And sometimes he looks like the best player in the world. Yeah. Speaking of someone who can just get hot on any night, um, Nate Robinson signing a 10-day contract with the Clippers. 
An yes. interesting one. I know you you like ranting about the Clippers and the bench and Doc Rivers <laughs> and all these other things. It just annoys me talking about the Clippers now because they were like my favourites to win the whole thing at the start of the season, and they just don't look capable of even getting out of the first round of the playoffs. It's um, it's well, not great. Obviously, he's uh he he's averaged um a career low this season, but he's only played thirty three games. So, yeah, <sighs> Doc Rivers continues to sign every single player who was good in two thousand and eight <laughs> in the Eastern Conference. He's his rotation is a joke. And here's the thing about the Clippers. It's like their starting lineup, if you just factor in that Blake Griffin's coming back and Spencer Hawes is going. Spencer Hawes has been god-awful. So the, the sooner he leaves the starting lineup, the better. Um, but, like, they've actually done all right without Blake Griffin. I think they lost today against the, the Warriors. I mean, everyone's losing to the Warriors. But they're about seven. I think they're seven and five without Griffin, which is which is acceptable. DeAndre Jordan has been really, really good. Like, awesome. that guy's been... Yeah, a monster. Like every time you look at the box score, the guy has like twenty to twenty-five rebounds. Uh, he's scoring. Uh, you know, he, his scoring has definitely gone up with with Blake Griffin uh, out of the lineup. Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul. One of the reasons why he's not an MVP candidate is that people just don't like him. They don't, <laughs> yeah, they just don't like his personality. He flops. He complains. He's kind of a borderline dirty player, but he's been like phenomenal uh, since Blake Griffin has been out with injury. So. You know, he's definitely like a fringe MVP guy, but going back to Nate Rob, like, it's just like their rotation outside of their starting five and, you know, don't include Jamal. Jamal Crawford's like their one decent bench player, but it's a joke. I mean, Hayden Turkaloo, Big Baby, Nate Rob, um, you know, Spencer Hawes, like, Doc Rivers' son, who's a borderline, a borderline. I'm just looking at the stats tonight, and obviously I was at work. He had 30, what, he played 31 yeah. minutes and was their, their, like, leading scorer. That's insane. A lot of garbage time, a lot of garbage time, uh, time <laughs> points from, from Austin Rivers. That game was like a 20 point game, and, Jesus. and Golden State were, they, they had their foot off the, off the accelerator, and Austin Rivers was scoring a lot of garbage time points, but, you, you, you can't, I, I just can't see you winning an NBA championship with Glenn Davis, Haydu Turkoglu as like key parts of your rotation. And, and I, I think it's a real disservice to the starting five there because if they had a decent bench, um, you know, that's a really dangerous team. Cause like I said, JJ Reddick's a really, really solid two guard. Chris Paul, one of the best point guards in the league. And then, you know, one of the best front courts with, with DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, but Doc Rivers, as great of a coach as he's been, He's just done a terrible job at, at constructing a uh, a rotation. Like they they gave away Jared Dudley in the summer for nothing. They actually gave Milwaukee a pick to get rid of him. And it's like <laughs> that's a guy who's his exact. I know he was injured last season. He didn't play well, but he's exactly what they need. Like a wing defender who can hit the three. He'd be like this season, like healthy as he is. He'd be he'd be a very useful part of their rotation. But instead, you know, they've gone with these guys who are just so far past their prime. And then, you know, he makes it a point to, to sign his son. Again, no disrespect to Austin Rivers, but he's not good enough to be a, a key rotation piece on a, on a champ, on a team that wants to win a championship. So, uh, you know, we talk about Portland's shallow bench, but the Clippers, like, if, if anything happens to Jamal Crawford, like, they're in big trouble because they have nothing off the bench. Yeah. I, I, they're just depressing to talk about. They really are. Um, I was Nate tonight. Uh, he's just like, uh, a lesser version of what he was like, three years ago. I mean, yeah, like he, he's, he was a, gr- a good player. Like when, when Chicago had him, um, when, when Rose, that, that's first season that Rose was missing the whole year, like he 
had that crazy quarter against the Nets and oh god, yeah. And yeah, he just caught fire and he's one of those guys. But again, he's he's slowing down. He's not the same player he was. He's past thirty now, and and defensively, he's never going to be great because because he's so short. Like Sean Livingston was just destroying him because there's about you know they're both guards, but there's about a foot difference between the two guys. So you can't have Nate Robinson playing serious minutes like if you're a championship contender. And again, it. it it's kind of depressing because Chris Paul is playing out of his skin and so is DeAndre Jordan. And you kind of, you kind of owe it to those guys to put a bit of a better team around them because like that, again, that starting five is as good as any starting five in the West. It's just that once those guys have to get their minutes, get, uh, you know, get their rest, like there's no one who can really spot them and, and kind of maintain them, you know, stay above water while those guys, you know, sit on the bench. So, you know, if that team had had the depth of, uh, you know, of a San Antonio or of a Memphis, that's a legitimate title contender. But right now, I just I can't see, given the rotation that they have, I can't see them, you know, making the Western Finals. I think at the start of the season, we were just all so high on them because they had so many, they had all these sort of role players, guys who've been key on other teams. Obviously, Doc's got a big thing for former Celtics, so kind yeah. Of- bringing anybody across them like during the summer they were linked to KG and Paul Pierce and obviously they've ended up with Glenn Davis and um, now Nate who obviously played for the Celtics in 2009 so he's got this weird thing for his older players but I think at the start of the year we were just all so hyped on the amount of like the talent that was there on the roster whether we all had blinkers on and were just blinded by you know the fact that we probably haven't seen them all play at a higher level in a couple of years um, they're not going to be fun to watch in the playoffs I think if they get one of the younger teams then they're going to be in uh, serious issues It just they need just Blake to come back and play at a level that he was playing at last year yeah. I think maybe last year we were kind of spoiled with the way that he was playing because he made them look a lot better than they, they probably necessarily were and then they had all the issues in the playoffs so they're yeah. a really odd team. I think they're they're one, they're one of these ones that has, they've just got to kind of start winning soon because you can't imagine someone like CP and and Blake and these guys are going to be too happy if they can't put talent around him. Because I think going into the year, I think me and you said like the one the one weakness we saw in the whole roster was Matt Barnes because he just isn't the he's not the 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 sort of starting guy that they need. He doesn't help stretch the floor at all for them. So yeah, they could have really done with a guy like Aaron Aflalo to come in, but. They just didn't have the assets to trade for him. But, uh, uh, you know, I heard, I heard, um, you know, a few people mentioning that, you know, they could have signed a guy like Paul Pierce in the summer, but they spent, you know, whatever cap room that they had on, on Spencer Horse. And I saw, I saw what they were trying to do in theory. Like they were trying to spread the floor with a big man who could step out and shoot. And he would sort of, you know, make things a little less congested when, um, you know, being on the floor with, with DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin. But, the one thing I wouldn't blame Doc Rivers about is that he's been like really bad. Like no one, I don't think foresaw could foresee how bad he's been this season. Like <laughs> just, you watched him play against Golden State and he was missing layups and he was getting like, you know, guy, David Lee was grabbing offensive rebounds over him and he's just, he looks so slow and, and unathletic and just a guy that just is a weak link in their front line. So, you know, if you, you just imagine if they'd signed Paul Pierce as opposed to Spencer Hawes. And just filled in, like, you know, picked up another big man here or there, then they would have had a much deeper rotation and a guy who could have, like, like you said, Matt, they need someone who can defend uh, wing players, which they currently don't have. Matt Bards tries hard, but he's probably not that guy. So, uh, yeah, again, their starting lineup is as good as any starting lineup in the league, but it, it kind of unravels after that. I can't remember where I heard this or whether it was actually a, a legit thing, but I'm, there was a deal on the table with, I think it was for Al Farouk Aminu at one point, and that would have made. 
yeah. a bit more sense than keeping someone like Matt Barnes because obviously the problem what they problem they had was Matt Barnes hasn't got exact hasn't exactly got a high trade value so bringing in someone like that would have been a huge bonus for them but it hasn't happened um there is one team that's uh, on a bit of a tear in the Western Conference and they have a player called Russell Westbrook <laughs> and he's yeah. scaring the living daylights out of everybody. I wrote a piece, I can't, uh, I think it was last week, uh, just about the, the MVP race in general and just saying how it's between, uh, at the moment, I think it's personally between sort of Russ and, um, and James Harden because they're both the former teammates. They're just carrying their teams every single night and even when the Thunder lose, Russell Westbrook's having unbelievable nights. I think, I think some, some of the nights he's doing too much. Um, the Suns' yeah. loss from a week ago comes to mind, and there was a game the other night as well. Just they're, t- they're doing a little too much. If you're getting taken to overtime by the 76ers as well, you need to kind of look yourself in the face a little bit. <laughs> hey, the Hawks lost to the Sixers last night. Oh, I saw that. Don't diss the Sixers. No, <laughs> you're right. I think the Hawks is like reserves lost to the Sixers, but but yeah, it's like, unbelievable. He's doing things that we haven't really seen since like you know Oscar Robertson, which is slightly scary. Incredible, yeah. He he basically became the first player since Michael Jordan in 1989 to to post four consecutive triple doubles, which is insane. Like he, I think he was averaging you know 37 points and double figures and rebounds and assists, obviously during that stretch. I think he I think he broke the record for most consecutive 40 point games on the Thunder, which is incredible considering that Kevin Durant plays for the Thunder. <laughs> so he has a scoring record that Kevin Durant doesn't have. Um, and yeah, the guy's been ridiculous. I think you alluded that maybe he was doing a bit too much, like in the Bulls game on Thursday night. He was doing yeah. like he kept leaving, uh, leaving his feet without really knowing what he was going to try and do. Like he would, he'd jump in the air and then instead of shooting, he'd pass and he kind of, you know, threw off their flow a bit. But that's the only kind of little nitpicking that I have in recent, you know, weeks with him. He's been incredible. Like, especially considering that Durant has been in and out of the lineup with injuries. Like, what he's doing and it's not just scoring like he's he's been uh, distributing and rebounding the ball and stealing and his turnovers are really low i mean that that philadelphia game that you know philadelphia took him to overtime but his stat line of 49 points and like he had 15 rebounds and 10 assists i mean in, that in a mask <laughs> yeah in a mask uh, and i think i think the one thing that it just sticks out so jarringly with russell westbrook is that I, I can't remember another player or athlete in any sports league in recent history that looks better every time he comes back from injury. Like you look at, you know, the stuff was happening with Derek Rose and, and he just looks like less of a player every time he returns. I mean, he just looks mentally, he looks like he has no confidence in his jumper and, and he loses a bit more explosion. Like Russell Westbrook's had his meniscus repaired and, and he had Andre Roberson put a dent in his head the other night, <laughs> broke his orbital bone, and the guy just comes back and he's stronger and he looks more athletic every time. I mean, a guy coming back from knee surgery shouldn't look more athletic. Like it's it's insane what he does. I think I think in the same Sixers game he had like a coast to coast dunk where he just literally sprinted the length of the floor and and dunked. Like no, there's no guard that I remember. Who dunks as ferociously as Russell, Russell Westbrook? Like he, that All Star game, he hit his head on the like the the underside of the backboard. Like he got so high. Like he's just he, he's just insane to watch. And um, like you said, Matt, with your piece there on uh, on the site there on on MVP candidacy, candidacy. I, I think at one point I was thinking, well, you know, he he missed quite a few games at the start of the year. Maybe like he kind of rules himself out of contention, but. 
he's just been so good and he's been carrying that team so much that it's hard not to put him in in like serious consideration. And I think if they do make the playoffs, which you know they they've had a few slip, uh, Pelicans are still coming on strong, but I honestly think like he has to be up there with Curry and, and Harden. He's really weird. He re- he's, he's sort of got an NFL body in the NBA. It's slightly scary. He always reminds me of you see like the great NFL running backs like Barry Sanders and people like that. He just reminds me of someone like that. He's just he is such a formidable force, and you see players trying to get out of the way of him rather than getting in front of him. And that you made a point of um, the way he was playing during the Bulls game the other night. There were multiple plays during that game as well where you had someone like Serge Ibaka wide open waving for the ball, and there's yeah. gifs and things all over the internet of Serge like standing at the top of the uh, at the top of the key, just like waving his arms at him frantically, saying, "Give me the ball," and it and it isn't happening. But um, yeah, it's it's it, he's been just phenomenal. I just can't really. There's no other words to describe it. What he's doing, you know, he's in the categories of Michael Jordan and Oscar Robertson right now, which is just unbelievable. And if he keeps it up, I don't really have any doubts that they'll make the playoffs, especially if KD comes back and play. See, the thing is right now, they only need KD to play at an adequate level. They don't need MVP KD if Westbrook plays like this. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like, the, the, the way that Westbrook stepped up, and especially the way he stepped up as a facilitator, like, Again, the knock on him has always been that he... He don't he, pass. Yeah, he's, he's a me-first guy, he doesn't pass. And I think, you know, the Bulls game, we saw a bit of that, but I think he's really improved as a passer. He sees the floor a lot better than he did. So you're, you're absolutely right, Matt. Like, KD can sort of play himself back, and he doesn't need to come back in the lineup and score 35 points and take 25 shots. Like, he can kind of ease himself back in and just get ready for the playoff run because Westbrook is sort of taken over the, the, the mantle of like the vocal leader of that team. And right now, obviously the on-court leader of that team in terms of his play. Um, right now, the, the Thunder Raptors game just tipped off. And uh, I think, you know, us Thunder fa- us uh, Raptors fans are all very worried about who the hell is going to guard Russell Westbrook. <laughs> the Raptors are atrocious against point guards in general. Like DJ Augustine has gone off against, against the Raptors. And, you know, Jared Jack has gone off against the Raptors big time Brandon Jennings this season. And those guys are not even, you know, worthy of tying up, uh, tying up, uh, Russell Westbrook's shoes. So I don't know who's going to stay in front of Russell Westbrook tonight. He may have 50 points. Yeah. Carl Lowry looks probably going to be backtracking a lot in that game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Spend Carl- more time looking behind him. <laughs> yeah. Carl Lowry's in for a long night. Uh, oh well, poor guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but speaking of like making teammates and stuff better, I think we spoke about Enos Cantor and the guys they've added, obviously Singler and people like that. Kant has been unbelievable for them. He's just, he looks like a completely different player. And I think a lot of it has got to do with the fact that him and Serge Ibaka complement each other so much. Serge has become a player who can now shoot the three. He's sort of more of a floor spreading power forward than he ever used to be, especially back when James Harden and stuff were were on the thunder. But Kant has become the guy that he wanted to be in Utah. He's shooting 56%. That's up from 49 and he's just been a monster. He's, he, he's averaging 14.5 points a game, 9.3 rebounds. He's just doing everything that they need him to do right now. When you've got some of the, you know, the injuries to Steven Adams uh, and you've got someone like Mitch McGarry coming in and helping out as well, it's just great to get boosts like this from your players. And if Cantor and Serge can keep playing like this, I think, you know, someone like Steven Adams might actually have some competition for, um, for, for gaining a starting spot. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is really good for them too, because, like competition in the front court, uh, like power forward and center is really what they've been lacking the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, it was always perk. Like, yeah, uh, 
you can't have any less competition, you know, when Kevin Perkins is, Ke- Kendrick Perkins is your default starter all the time. Like, <laughs> like that, that is not a good situation. And I think part of the reason why, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook has taken as many shots as he has in his time at OKC is because they don't have scorers in the front court. They, they don't have guys that can create their own shot. So like, even though Westbrook's a point guard, he's sort of forced to be a 20 point a game scorer. But now, you have a lot more depth there, like you said, with Stephen Adams when he comes back. I mean, even if Ennis Cantor goes to the bench, he's still a really good guy to to lead the second unit there and and to play against, you know, you know, set back backup power forwards, backup centers because he's a very skilled player. But I, I agree with you, Matt. Like he's been really good for them. He's built this instant chemistry with, with Russell Westbrook that that has been like uh, really effective. Like they run the pick and roll really well and. Just, I think we mentioned this last week, but just, like, no joke, just having a guy who can catch the ball and roll to the rim is an improvement over Perkins. Like, <laughs> like it, you know, it, just, you know, a skilled, a skilled, uh, big man who's, who's athletic like Cantor is. I mean, he kind of loses you a little bit on defense, but it's okay because Sergio Barker's such a great, uh, defensive guy that he can clean up basically everyone's mess. So, so yeah, it, it's added another dimension to their offense that they haven't had. They, they basically never had. Uh, a back to the basket, uh, skilled big man uh, like Cantor. Out in Utah, they had him shooting a lot of threes as well. They kind of turned him into a perimeter guy, and yeah. that isn't what he is. He's a huge body. He's the sort of guy who just he should be in the interior. And the fact that he is now, he's kind of helping helping Abaka because Abaka obviously thrives off that mid range elbow, and I think he's shooting above league average. So it's um, yes. having him there is just a big buffer for the Thunder. For sure, they just complement each other really well, like you said, Matt. Like Barker on offense is 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 more of a face up guy and Cantor's back to the basket and then on defense like they can kind of hide Cantor a bit because because the Barker's just such a force like you come into the paint and he's going to change anyone's shot and he's just such a quick athletic smart defender that you can have a a guy like Cantor there next to him and not really get hurt much on defense. I guess the added bonus they've got is because Cantor was forced to shoot so many threes in Utah that he's got that there. Like he's made yeah. a couple this season, but for playing for the Thunder right now, he hasn't attempted any. So he's always got that little bit of, you know, you've got to be just a little bit wary of him in the out, out, if, out in the perimeter. So it's always a good thing to have, but everything that they've done has just been, you know, phenomenal. Like everyone gives Sam Presti all this stick because there's rumors that they could lose. Durant and Westbrook and stuff but when these guys play like this you just got to be thinking why would they leave they're in such a good situation the front office tries and you know goes out and actually does do things that they need to do it's just good it's just all going to come down to the coaching again which is <laughs> is the typical thing with Oklahoma yeah coaching and just injury luck like yeah they, they need to just you know it, again so people have been joking but it's true like they've removed Kendrick Perkins so Scott Brooks can't play him 30 minutes a game anymore. Derek <laughs> Fisher's not on the team, so Derek Fisher's not going to be taking anyone's minutes. Uh, you know, so they have the personnel in place. And now they just, they, they honestly just need some injury luck because, uh, you know, we were talking about Portland and, and the Raptors, but OKC have just been really, really hampered with injuries. You know, Russell Westbrook missing the playoffs two years ago, Serge Ibaka missing almost all the playoffs last year. If they can get those three guys like fit and healthy come April and, and for, for the whole playoff run, and then have, um, you know, have your role players, um, playing as well as they're currently playing. Then again, that's, that's a very, very dangerous team. And Serge was the reason they got back in that series last year against the Spurs. So yes, if he comes back in, then that's going to be a, a big impact. Um, I think that's everything. Is there anything you want to mention before we go? 
no, I think, I think we covered all the sort of the main talking points. It's, it's always like, uh, you know, there's always stuff that, that comes up at this time of the season, but, you know, some great games this week, obviously, the, the, the Cavs, uh, against the Hawks, that was a big game and, and, uh, and the Hawks has come back o- over the Rockets, but I, I, I think, uh, I think we covered, covered the main talking points for sure. Yeah, I guess the disadvantage we have is because we record on sort of a Sunday slash Monday, it, it messes everything up because there's big games during the week and we don't, we, we, yeah. if we covered them like three or four days later, you know, kind of, especially over in the UK, it's kind of like everyone who's interested gets their stuff from the internet or from League Pass and things like that. So if we can just sort of, you know, cover topics and things like that, I think it works out a bit better for us and it's, it's also easier to talk about. <laughs> sure. If, yeah, if we start sort of recapping Tuesday night's games, people yeah. have read the recaps five days ago it might be a bit redundant <laughs> yeah his tuesday his wednesday his thursdays his Fridays. it's like you're going to be going through six days worth of games and then obviously not be able to do the one day that you recorded so kind of would be a bit stupid but um the website as always guys is doubleclutchpodcast.co.uk um please subscribe to us on itunes check out stitcher radio give us leave us reviews and things we love getting those reviews because it um puts us right up the chart but if you are on twitter and facebook please use hashtag me in the uk just to to get the news going and, and spread the word like if you've got a you know if you're just getting into the nba and you've got friends who are thinking about getting into the nba or something like that then you know recommend us because we've done and, and ross who's been on the podcast has done some fantastic stuff over on the website like with a a British guide to all the teams. So if you're just starting out and there's a team you want to follow, or if you just want to become like most of us and just follow like, you know, the whole league, then it's all there and we'll just try and, you know, do our best to provide you with, uh, with weekly and daily content. So it's just getting to the point of the year where people have, have got things to do and obviously summer's coming up. So it's a bit of a, everyone's like, Oh, we're going on holiday. So, um, yeah, <laughs> hopefully the playoffs will cheer everybody up and get everybody right back into the playoff group. Not that the basketball's been boring because it's been anything but. <laughs> but we all want the playoffs to start this time of the season. It's it's uh, it's that point where we're all starting to think about matchups, yeah, tenders, and it, I, I can't wait. You know, we're in the last month of the regular season, so it's always a fun time and uh, just see how the seeding how the seeding pans out. But a- a- April is a great month for for basketball, obviously. And the basketball tends to get dominated by, um, obviously March Madness for the college. So everyone seems to suddenly start talking about that. And if you don't follow the college like me, then you, it's kind of like, what is everyone going on about? So luckily for me this year, the NBA uh, playoff race is something that I can, and the MVP race obviously is something to keep an eye on. So, um, yeah. Sure. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll uh, catch you on the same usual day next week. Cheers, guys. All right, y'all. This is a roll call. Let me see you, big city, live city, rip city, Mexico city, China, London. Where you at, dude, with all the hats? Dude with the haircut, dude with the beard. All you baby sizes, shack sizes. No, really, shack sizes. Let me see you, fantasy owners, tweeters, blog readers, gamers, game timers. Woo! Come on, let's see you, floor seats, family seats. All your mama seats, best seats in the house. Let's see you, legends, coaches, trainers. You too, rookie? Both of you. Pick number one, pick number two, pick number 28, pick of the year. <laughs> That's gonna be fun. Come on, let's see you dancers. Ringleaders, real leaders. Guy coming off the bench, guy leaving the bench behind. All you passes, dunkers, blockers, buzzer beaters. All you contenders, championship defenders. It's tip off time, y'all. Everybody up.